On this episode of This Week in Linux, the amount of news we have to cover is just crazy. We've got multiple big stories in the distro news section, with Ubuntu 20.04 and Manjaro 20 releasing, Fedora announced that Fedora is coming to Lenovo's ThinkPad line, and even more from Void Linux and Intel's Clear Linux. In the housekeeping section, we're going to be talking about the new DLN news and article website front page Linux, if you've not heard of that. And there's just so much news this week that normally LXQ would be a top running news item, but in this case, there's just too much to cover. So LXQ 0.15 will be discussed later in the show. And there's also a little bit of some weirdness about LXQ's project to talk about. We'll get to that later. And we've also got some new releases in the app news section for Caden Live 2004, Bleachbit 4.0, and Vivaldi 3.0. All that and much more coming up. I'm Michael Tanell with Tux Digital and the Destination Linux Network, and this is your weekly source for Linux good news. This episode of This Week in Linux is sponsored by the awesome folks at DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean offers the simplest, most developer-friendly cloud platform. It's optimized like managing and scaling apps easy with an intuitive API, multiple storage options, integrated firewalls, load balancers, and more. DigitalOcean also has 2,000 cloud-agnostic tutorials to stay, help you stay up-to-date with the latest open-source software, languages, and frameworks. And it's not even just cloud-agnostic. It's also basically system-agnostic, so you could use it on your desktop, and there's a variety of different tutorials that are just awesome for regular, day, everyday usage as well. So it doesn't have to be cloud-based tutorials. There's also quite a lot of stuff that you can learn just in general. And you can get this plus access to the world-class customer support for as low as $5 per month. Or they're using use their flexible pricing structure, which is ridiculous, at 0.7 cents per hour. Not 7 cents per hour, but 0.7 cents per hour. And you can get started on DigitalOcean for free for two months with a $100 credit by going to do.co slash dln. Again, you can get started on DigitalOcean by going to do.co slash dln with that $100 credit so you can spin up a bunch of different droplets that are for the $5 level or just spin up some gigantic droplets with that $100 credit. Whatever you want to do, definitely check it out by going to do.co slash dln. And thanks again to DigitalOcean for sponsoring This Week in Linux. A first in the show this week is Ubuntu 20.04 LTS. So Ubuntu is back with a brand new release with Ubuntu 20.04 LTS, Focal Fossa, that's the code name. It has pounced onto the Linux world, bringing a slew of new features and improvements to enjoy. Ubuntu is arguably the most popular Linux-based operating system on the market, so there's a lot of anticipation of this latest release, especially considering it's an LTS. So the LTS in Ubuntu 20.04 stands for Long-Term Support, which means that this version of Ubuntu will be supported for five years, until 2025. And business and enterprise customers, you can actually opt in to get ESM support or extended security maintenance support for up to 10 years as a part of the Ubuntu Advantage service, though this service is an additional uh, support option for a premium service that is offered by Canonical. Uh, anyway, let's move on to uh, some other stuff. But before we get started on the uh, features of the latest version, I wanted to just let you know that there's a lot of stuff that's in this episode and a lot of stuff that happens with Ubuntu every single release. And I didn't want to kind of like downplay the stuff for the, di the different flavors. So next episode of 102, I'm going to do a, a bunch of topics related to the flavors themselves and give them a lot more time because I think putting in this episode wouldn't do justice to all the cool stuff that's in those flavors like Kubuntu, Lubuntu, and etc. So now let's get back to the Ubuntu proper, implying the main one. And that is the long-term aspect, long-term support aspect of this release also means that the developers kind of play it safe a little bit in terms of features, but that's not necessarily a bad thing because it means that they have to commit to like maintain like a five-year period of support for these things. So it makes sense that they're not going to be doing a ton of different features as that is the purpose of the interim releases. Uh, so that's not to say that there's it's not worth you know using the 2004. It's you know complete opposite of that. The usability improvements, the user interface refinements, and a bunch of other stuff has been added, which is very nice. And some of the improvements that happened and that are much sought after is update to the Linux kernel. And that is the latest version of the kernel and the LTS version of the kernel is 5.4. So this is not the latest kernel, but it's the latest LTS. And that's why 2004 LTS is using 5.4. 
Pokalfasa also comes with the live kernel updates, meaning you don't need to reboot your system to install kernel updates thanks to the integration with LivePatch. And performance is significant focus for this release. The default kernel and initRAMFS have been changed to use the LZ4 compression algorithm, which will deliver much faster boot times. And also speaking of boost, you can get some boost while gaming. And so, because game mode from Feral Interactive is also included by default. So there's a lot of stuff. We still have quite a bit to get through. Something I'm very excited to see in the latest version of Ubuntu is that it has support for WireGuard. WireGuard is a simplified and wildly popular virtual private network or VPN tool. And Canonical didn't actually stop for the support with WireGuard because in addition to supporting WireGuard in 2004, they are also backporting it to Ubuntu 18.04 LTS. So users of the previous LTS can also benefit from WireGuard as well, which is very, very cool of them to do. Uh, Jason Donafield, the creator of WireGuard, reacted to this by saying that including WireGuard by default in all recent versions of Ubuntu means that users will finally get a great out-of-the-box secure tunnel on Ubuntu, which I have to agree. And speaking of WireGuard, be sure to check out the latest episode of the Destination Linux Network's own Ask Noah show, where Noah interviews Jason Donafield of WireGuard to learn more about this popular VPN project on episode 177. So also, Ubuntu 20.04 has received improvements to ZFS support, which offers native encryption with hardware acceleration enabled, pull trim, device removal, sequential scrub and resilvering, and a new dialog in the partitioning screen, as well as integration with ZSYS, or ZSYS, which is Ubuntu's own integration tool between ZFS and Ubuntu. So this actually is really cool because when users install software or update their system, the ZS, ZSYS or ZSYS project will take an automatic snapshot enabling users to roll back if an update goes bad, which is fantastic. And one of the reasons why I was super excited when they announced that support for ZFS was happening because that means that this is a possibility to be made and then they make it, which is fantastic. So these snapshots are available and through the grub boot menu so if you if there, something does go bad you can just load up the boot the grub make the grub the grub boot menu show by using uh, holding shift when you boot it and it will tell you like give you the options that you can choose one of the snapshots which is really awesome so this also lays you know some foundational work for extra backup features in the future maybe hopefully we'll see and in addition to that they've also updated the login screen and the lock screen one of the things that I didn't really like about the lock screen is that the there's this issue with with the gnome where you had to like click and drag it up like a weird sliding effect to get to the login options. That's no longer a problem. You just click anywhere on the the lock screen visual visuals and it will just take you directly to it. So you don't have to no longer have to do this weird curtain raising thing. So that's good. I think that's applying to all of GNOME, but for sure definitely in 2004 Ubuntu. And for those who prefer their system to have more of a darker side of the force, the community design team has added a new dark mode that you can change in the Ubuntu settings. So if you change the settings, there might be a little bit of a quirk. So far, people have said that there's sometimes there's some issues. However, thankfully, uh, we actually have a guide for you to check out. So you go check out the Ubuntu 2004 full dark mode guide written by Eric Adams on Front Page Linux. So be sure to check that one out. And Ubuntu 24 also makes it easier to turn on fractional scaling support in which has been very important to a lot of people because of having different high resolution displays and that kind of thing. You can now toggle on and off this fractional scaling option in the display settings. And it's not like a full fractional scaling. It has specific increments that you can use, such as 100%, which is regular, then 125%, 150%, 175%, and then 200% to choose from. Now there's other disk DEs that allow you to like do more gradual decisions. So you could get like 1.65 or something like that or 165%, whatever, you know, that kind of thing. But this is a much improved, you know, this is really good that they're doing it. It's better than not having at all. So good job on adding fractional scaling because it is a lot of, that's very important to a lot of people. And also there's a ton of other things that 
I really can't get into because this this section is already ridiculously long. So let's just talk about the, you know, the there's there's new stuff that's coming with the the GNOME features. All of the features that happened in GNOME 3.36 are available in Ubuntu 20.04, which is really cool. But I'm not going to discuss those things uh, because well. I already did in episode 96 of This Week in Linux. So if you want to check out all those things, then there you go. Check out episode 96 of This Week in Linux to check out all of the GNOME 3.36 stuff, including the new extensions application that only took them 10 years to do, but finally is here. So good job there. So Ubuntu 18.04 users should probably wait, though, until the first point release of 20.04 that will be coming out in a few months in July. But if you can't wait, Check out the article that I wrote on how to upgrade to 2004 that is available on frontpagelinux.com. I'll have links in the show notes to all the things that I'm listing here. But if if you, uh, one quick note though, I said I was going to talk about the flavors of Ubuntu in the next episode, which I am. But I want to let you know that you, there's there are some upgrades issues in some cases. So for example, I made an article about upgrading to Ubuntu 2004, but should you? You know, it's not quote, it, whatever. I put, it's kind of clickbaity title, I admit, but it, it there is a reason for it. It's not just because, you know, it's a clickbaity title. There's reasons of saying that if you are an LTS user, they don't necessarily recommend updating your system from 1804 LTS to 2004 LTS until the actual first per- point release, which will be in July. But also, Lubuntu 1804 and Lubuntu 20.04 that have the Lubuntu has LXDE and LXQ change in this release. So 20.04 has LXQ, whereas 18.04 had LXDE. So if you were to upgrade from LXDE to LXQ, it will not work. So this is an example where you don't want to upgrade at all because there's a lot of difference. Because there's some breakage that would create because you're basically replacing the entire desktop environment which is not necessarily a good suggestion to do in an upgrade form. So on that particular example, you should do a fresh install. And, and by the way, this is not a bad thing because LXQt is really cool, and we're going to talk about it later in the show, but it's a much, much better DE than LXDE. So it is a fantastic thing that Lubuntu is doing that. But we're going to talk about more of that next episode in 102 when we talk about all the flavors. Anyway. Let's move on. We're going to talk about some other stuff. But before we do, I have one more thing I want to say, and that is the code name of Ubuntu 2004 LTS. That is a lot to say. 2004 LTS. So instead, they use code names like Focal Fossa, or you could just say Focal, and you're that's it. It, it. They have like a naming convention. They have the Ubuntu naming convention for an adjective and then an animal to reference. So they typically, you know, you could just pick whichever one, really, but they typically use the adjective to describe the different versions. And it's not that, you know, it's mostly just for fun, too, but it's a lot to say Ubuntu 20.04 LTS. So it's easier to say focal. Uh, but this is a, 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 this version is named after the cat-like animal from Madagascar, which is really interesting but not necessarily fun however the next one 2010 has a really fun code name and i think it's probably one of the best code names that they've ever had disco dingo is still really high up in that ranking there though Uh, it's hard to decide which one's better but this one is groovy gorilla which i think is a fantastic code name and hopefully it's a sign that their future code names will be as fun as this as this and disco dingo were so Hopefully you keep doing that because this is really fun. Because you could have had Funky Fossil or Funky Fossa. That'd be fun. I don't know. Anyway, moving on. Let's get to the next topic in the show because we've already spent, I don't know, 10 minutes on this one. And (laughs) there's quite a bit left. So let's move on. Up next in the show is some more distro news that's pretty big. The The amount of distro news this week is just crazy. Anyway, coming only a few days after Ubuntu 20.04 released is the latest release of Manjaro. Manjaro version 20.0, Lizia, Lizia, something like that. Maybe those, maybe not that. Anyway, uh, 
that is a new version of Manjaro that has, oh, by the way, they have three different versions of Manjaro. There's three different editions. Uh, they also have Architect, but that's not really a addition because it's more like you could build it yourself type of situation. So those are really cool for people who want that. But if you just want a nice addition that has pre-designed things and pre-installed applications and that kind of thing, then the three options that include XFCE, Plasma, and Gnome are something you might want to check out. First of all, XFCE is the flagship edition for Manjaro, and it's probably one of the most well-themed and polished XFCE implementations available, out of the box anyway. And there's, and there's a lot of distributions that make XFCE look good, but I think Manjaro does a really good job in this, in this case. They have, they have a new theme called Matcha to do that, and it's, a, it's quite nice. If you've never seen XFCE before in terms of like the default vanilla version of it, Maybe you could do yourself a favor and check it out. And, well, is that a favor? I don't know. You could try it out in like Debian where they don't modify anything and you just get the basic XFCE. You could try that and see the difference between what Manjaro does and what is the default. That's not to say that XFCE is a bad desktop environment. It's a very good DE. It's just not the prettiest thing out of the box. So anyway, moving on. Also included in this new release is a new tool called Display Profiles, which allows users to save multiple profiles for different display configurations. The ability to automatically switch between profiles when new displays are connected is also a fantastic feature for this particular new tool. And let's move on to the other DEs. So first of all, we're going to talk about some uh, Plasma and GNOME things. And later, we're going to talk about some stuff that's more like a global thing in Manjaro. But first of all, let's move to Plasma. The Manjaro team has significant changes with their Plasma edition. I've contributed a few things actually in regards to suggestions for configuration improvements and I'm happy to let you know that they have implemented a, a, a bunch of stuff including the switch to double click by default for launching files from the desktop and inside of Dolphin. Now if you are new to the show and you haven't heard me rant about this particular topic or on the other podcasts that I do, like Destination Linux, I've ranted on that one as well too about this. But this is the topic that I'm very, very vocal about on many occasions, and I won't go into details this time. But uh, if you're interested, I might make a video on this topic to go more in depth about why it's actually a, a an issue about you know which one should be by default, and also the argument about which one is better and that kind of thing. If you want to make you want me to make a video on that, please let me know in the comments below, and I will do that. Cause you know, I it is a topic that I I like to talk about. So anyway, even if you don't want me to make it, I'll, I'll do it anyway. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> also, in addition to that, is the the full set of Breath Two themes are available in this, including light and dark themes, which is based on a modified version of Breeze themes. And they also have an animated splash screen available. Uh, they've added a console prof new console profiles. They've also added some new themes and skins for Yquake, which is a drop-down terminal, and their default text editor of KDE, which is Kate. And there's also been some new changes for what I think is really good because it needs updating quite a bit. There's this new widget for the main menu, and that's called Simple Menu. It's a really nice looking menu. It's not perfect. There are some things that could make it even better, but it is still a really good menu. And it is they don't they didn't replace the default one. The default's still kickoff. Because kickoff is the name of the main KDE Plasma menu that has been around for I don't know, fifteen years or so, more than that. Definitely more than that. I don't know. But a long time. And it it feels kind of dated. They make modern they make modern versions of it, but it's still the same menu, and it's still it just feels kind of dated. And I will, I hope that they update that soon. But if you don't want to use Kickoff, you can install Manjaro and then just right click the main menu button and then choose Simple Menu from the Show Alternatives section, and you can just switch to it right there. So I think that's pretty cool. Now let's move on to the GNOME edition. So this latest version has. 3.36.1. I didn't mention the version of Plasma. It's 5.18. But anyway, so 3.36.1 of GNOME. And now this has a lot of stuff. And I talked about, like, I'm going to talk about a few things. I'm not going to go into super details. Uh, but, you know, because it's already in the 
episode 96 for GNOME.36. But something that's worth noting is that they have the Do Not Disturb toggle, which is really cool. The extensions application that I mentioned earlier about the whole 10 years thing. Anyway, there's also a number of visual and performance improvements, which is really good. And I think the best thing about here is that there is a, a new improvements to the GNOME Layout Switcher tool. That's really, really nice. And uh, this is interesting, not necessarily, you know, it's, it's depending on your preference, which one is good or bad or not or whatever. But they've changed the default shell for this edition to not be Bash, but to be ZSH. So that's pretty interesting. Uh, let me know what you think about that in the comments below. And also another exciting exciting feature in this in this release is the inclusion of ZFS installation via Architect. Now, this is the one that you build yourself, but this is really cool because it allows you to install ZFS much easier if you'd like to do that. And in this release, you know, this is available to all the different versions, all the different editions is the latest 5.6 kernel. This is also to get like the up-to-date drivers for newer hardware and that kind of thing. But What's really interesting, I think, is that Pamac, which is the application software center type application that they make, that's nine. It's nine point four is the version that's coming out in this one. But there's a lot of improvements on this one. But more importantly, is the addition of snaps and flat pack support out of the box for Pamac. Now this is really cool because you can just search for applications and it will show you the different results. And have a little like a like a t small text field that not text field but small text underneath the name of the application that says what kind it's from. Like if it, it'll say Snap or Flatpak, or it will say if it's from the regular repos, it will just say like Community or Extra or whatever the name of the repo it's from. Very cool that they've added that. I think it's very important. I mean, there's going to be some naysayers saying don't do that kind of thing. I think it's fantastic that they're doing it, especially if it has out of the box. Because when I, when I first installed Manjaro, it's been like a couple weeks, but when I installed Manjaro, the Flatpak support was not there. It was still possible to add it. You just had to install a plugin and then activate the plugin, and then there you go, it's there. But now out of the box, you can just get it now with version 20, and I think that is pretty awesome. Uh, you can. There's also support for app image, not like the same kind of Pamac support because. Well, App Images doesn't really have doesn't really have a repo to search for that kind of stuff, but it does have integration with App Image Launcher and like the App Image update stuff and that kind of thing, which is really cool because it's a lot cleaner in doing the application installations. Well, it's not really installations with App Images, but you know, I'll, if you want me to talk about App Image Launcher in another video, let me know about that. But let's just move on to the next piece because you know this one's also a pretty long one too. <laughs> so. Up next in the show is some really good news from Fedora, and that is that Fedora is coming to Lenovo ThinkPads. When it comes to finding laptops with Linux preloaded or pre-installed by the OEM, it's mostly Ubuntu, or it's derivatives. Not always. There's also Manjaro, but for the majority of the time, it's Ubuntu or something like that. Something based on Ubuntu. And the Lenovo team has been working with folks at Red Hat to make sure that Fedora 32 Workstation is ready to go on their laptops. So this is really, really cool. Now, Fedora 32 was delayed last week to be released, and it's, it's supposed to be getting released on its backup release date, which is today, April 28th, Tuesday. I mean, technically, I'm recording it really, really late 27th or early 28th. Depending on your perspective, this is actually like already past midnight. It's almost 1 o'clock to me, so it's a pretty late recording, and I'm doing that because, you know, scheduling is difficult apparently so i'll talk about more about that later anyway because behind the scenes stuff in the housekeeping section if you're interested but to continue with the fedora topic so the project leader from fedora matthew miller he has a quote from this on this announcement the best part about this is that we're not bending our rules for them Lenovo is following our existing trademark guidelines and respects our open source principles that's right these laptops ship with software exclusively from the official Fedora repos. Now, this is really cool. I like to hear when open source is respected, and it's fantastic to hear that this particular partnership is doing that. Also, they say in here is a quote that says, this is a joint collaboration between Red Hat team that works on Fedora desktop technologies and Lenovo's Linux engineers 
both teams have been working really hard lately to optimize the upcoming Fedora 32 release for the laptops from Lenovo. This is a pilot of Lenovo's Linux community series, and this is a Fedora edition of that, of that community series, beginning with the, these just roll right off the tongue, so let's get ready for that, ThinkPad P1 Gen 2, ThinkPad P53, ThinkPad X1 Gen 8 laptops. Also, there's potential from other laptops, other models to be in the future to be a part of this, as well as potentially some other distributions to be a part of it to have different editions because it is a community series. That's what I assume that's what they mean, but that's not officially said, but probably what it means. These will come pre-installed with Fedora Workstation Distro, which features the GNOME desktop environment. And for laptops with the NVIDIA graphics, that if you choose to have NVIDIA dedicated graphics, the users will be able to opt in to use the NVIDIA Linux proprietary drivers on the hardware. So Mark Pearson, the senior Linux developer at Lenovo, was quoted saying that Lenovo is excited to be, become part of the Fedora community. We want to ensure an optimal Linux experience on our products. We are committed to working with and learning from the open source community. Uh, also, there's some comments from Reddit I thought were fun because uh, someone said, I hope they get rid of that Windows logo on the keyboard. And I hope that's true too. You know, whatever they, you sh if you're going to do additions, maybe have like the logo of the distribution or, you know, also Tux is fine if you want to just put Tux on there. That's okay too. Um, but another comment, which I found kind of interesting and a little funny was IBM's, uh, they say IBM owns Red Hat. IBM used to own a percentage of Lenovo. They actually say a percentage, but it's not that anymore. I don't know if they actually still own, it used to like at like uh, a few years ago, it was like 5%. Uh, I don't know sure if they still own that much or if any, but anyway, Red Hat sponsors the Fedora project and Fedora is going to be available on Lenovo laptops. So is this kind of like a IBM conspiracy? Now, probably not because the whole don't really own that much anymore. But I like to consider this as a fun, you know, thought experiment. Is it? Let me know in the comments below. <laughs> yeah, right. Let's move on. Up next in the show is some interesting news from Void Linux, and it's kind of a drama alert. Now, I'm not going to actually do an animation or a soundbite for that, but... Let's just pretend I did and not do that. So if you've never heard of it, Void Linux is a pretty ambitious project. It's a rolling release distribution that is independent and built from scratch. I mean, not Linux from scratch. That's a different thing, but you, you know what I mean. Anyway, but it also has some interesting decisions regarding the software they use for the distribution, such as the libraries they use. So, for example, they don't use glibc. They use muscle instead, and instead of systemd, which is not really an init system exactly. It's a lot more than that. But instead of that, they use the run it init system in place of systemd, as well as a lot of other stuff. So this is some, some drama here, is that this week, Void Linux developer Maldridge posted an article in the official Void Linux blog detailing some recent events that have taken place within the core team. Namely, the Void Linux creator, Extreme or Extreme or whatever, has left the project for the second time. As far as the split goes, it appears to be not amicable at all. And in fact, Extreme inappropriately was lashing out at other core team members and eventually received a ban at the organizational level. So there you go. Now, you may be wondering, does this affect you know, Void Linux in some ways? Is, is this a loss to Void Linux? And this is actually not the first time that he's left the project. He left the project in 2018. And there was some issues in 2018. I even, I'm pretty sure they had a domain breakage problem and they had to fix the domain and actually they just replaced the domain and all some other stuff. So that happened, but they weren't, they did do, they did fix all that stuff. So this time he didn't really have that kind of an impact by leaving. So it's interesting because he, they say, and Maldres in the post says, there'll be no noticeable disruption to users and the project will continue as before. And we appreciate your support of Void and continuing to advance the state of Void Linux. And he says, to any maintainer or contributor that was receiving on the receiving end of one of Extreme's recent posts, I would like to extend my apologies for this and those of the project. Void is a project we intend all to be involved in, and that means treating others with respect. Now, that is a very good policy, and I'm glad that they have you know overcome this issue and if he's that kind of person, that's probably good that he's not a part of the thing, especially not in power of controlling it and everything. So, hey, 
if you're gonna lash out at people and what I don't know what they what was said because I don't have transcripts or anything, but you know it's kind of ridiculous if you're if you're running a project to do like that. This is pretty cool that they are talking about this openly and they're being transparent about it. And he, he also said that they're not going to talk about like what was said by the by Extreme unless he wants to put it out personally because they're not going to put out his information and that kind of thing, which is also a really good policy as well. So best of luck to Void Linux, not even just because of this, just in general. It's a really interesting distribution. And if you're looking for something that's independent and doesn't use pretty much anything that other distributions use, then check out Void Linux, and I'll have a link in the show notes below. Up next in the show is the housekeeping section. First of all, we're going to talk about Front Page Linux. Frontpagelinux.com, if you want to go right to the website right now. This is a website that does news, articles, tutorials, opinions, videos, and all kinds of stuff. This is actually a website created by the Destination Linux Network, and it's sort of self-promotion. I, I admit that, but it's an awesome website, not only because it has great content and great articles written by myself and a bunch of other people. I mean, also some more self-promotion, but anyway. <laughs> so what's really cool about this website is that it uses the open source philosophy in order to exist, really. So the open source philosophy is very important to me and is, of course, also the network in general and most people in the community. So what I wanted to do was create a website that took the open source philosophy and kind of just wrapped it around the concept of a news and article opinion-based site. So the way it works is if you have an idea that you would like to contribute to Front Page Linux, you just get in touch with us and you know write it out and get send out your send your article to us and we will vet it and curate it and maybe even edit it for editorial purposes to make it even better and help you you know learn to write if you want to that kind of thing it's it's mostly for the collaboration aspects of the open source philosophy but you know as i said there are some vetting it's not like you're going to be able, anybody can just send anything there's you know there's people who might just send press releases and not actually write anything and that's not going to count or whatever, we're not going to publish that kind of thing, unless the actual project wants us to make a press release thing. That's different, but just random people submitting it, not, it's not going to work. Uh, and also, if you there's there's a thing called plagiarism, so we don't want to you know just publish anything at all. So there is some curation and all that kind of stuff, which I think is actually good. I think it's a that's a pro to the site because it's it's an open source aspect, but also it's a highly polished open source website. So not just anything can get in, but the stuff that does get in is really good. So definitely check it out. And speaking of which, there is something that you should check out on Front Page Linux, and that is Linux++. So this is a weekly written magazine-type news column, and it also has a bunch of other stuff too. But Linux++ is a really good one, and the latest one that was released on April 26th has a lot of cool news that, that you can check out, different perspectives of the news, as well as also an interview with Lucas Arizinski from Pine64 in there, and that is a really interesting read. You should definitely check out that section. It, you, just, you should just check out Linux++ issued on April 26th just for that interview alone. It's really, really cool. And also, we're doing a questionnaire for Arch Linux users. So uh, part of Linux++, well, I'll have a link in the show notes that you take you to the questionnaire. But if you are an Arch Linux user, we want to find out some information about what you, what your opinions of the things, like what your experience is, that kind of thing. So if you don't mind, fill out the form in the links below, and we'd very much appreciate that. Also, be sure to check out, if you want to learn more about Ubuntu, the 2004 LTS article that I wrote is available on Front Page Linux, as well as the How to Upgrade to Ubuntu 2004 but should you article that I mentioned earlier that is also available on front page Linux as well as a bunch of other stuff and maybe even your content as well if you'd like to do that. So get in touch and we'll see how it goes. Next in the housekeeping section is the Destination Linux podcast. You may have heard me say Destination Linux Network many, many times in just this episode alone, but the Destination Linux Network is named after the Destination Linux podcast. And this is a podcast that I am on it is another great podcast. It's not. I'm not just biased because I'm on it. It's not great just because I'm on it. I mean, that certainly helps, but it's also a really good podcast just in general. It's really fun. We have really in-depth discussions. We also have fun discussions depending on the topic and all kinds of stuff. And we have so many episodes. We're actually at 171, which is coming out this week. But 
There's so many episodes to talk about. I'm not going to make you listen to all of it right now in terms of like describing them all. I'm just going to talk to you about three episodes and the last three specifically, and that is episode 169, 170, and 171. So first, we're going to talk about 169. This is an episode where we did like an exploration of what open source is, why it matters, uh, why it's important to us individually, and also why the best tool for the job statement that people sometimes make might be an answer to the wrong question. So if you're interested in what that means, definitely check out episode 169 of Destination Linux. Now, episode 170, we celebrate the proliferation of Linux as we dig through a big list of things that use Linux, run Linux, or just you know utilize it in some way. And this is a really fun episode in general, but also Emma Marshall from System76 joins us, which makes it even better. So check that out if you'd like to. And also there's 171, where we discuss the latest release of Ubuntu 20.04 and also the Lenovo Fedora announcement. But it's not, you know, just to be clear, Destination Linux is not just a news show. Uh, it's mostly not a news show. It's a discussion show with myself, Ryan, Noah, and guest host that we've been doing for the past couple of months or so. And this latest guest host is Jill Bryant Reinecker from Linux Gamecast. Now, she's this is the first time Jill has joined us for the show, so we did an interview with her as well as had the rest of the show. This is how we typically do it where if they've never been a guest host, we have an interview, and if they have had an interview before, we just have them join us as a guest host to just hang out and enjoy the show. So, this is the first time Jill's been on, so we did the interview with her, and it was really interesting to learn more about her journey into Linux, and she's been in Linux longer than I have, and she's also really, like, has a really interesting hardware collective, and she's also super fun to talk to, and just, it, it, it was a very fun episode, more so than normal, because Jill is just a really happy person, and it was really awesome to talk to her, so... Definitely check out episode 171 if you're interested in finding out more about Jill and just a fun episode in general. But also because we kind of dug into some pop culture discussions with Star Trek. So if you are a fan of Star Trek, you should definitely check it out. And she kind of puts me and Ryan in our place and, you know, related to, you know, kind of needing to step up our step up our Trekkie game because, it was really fun, and uh, you know, it's not. It's it's, it's kind of a little sidestep from Linux and a little bit in the episode, but I still think you should check it out, even if you don't like Star Trek. Because if you don't, this is definitely a good reason to uh, check out this episode because we talk about why. How would you get started in you know, like uh, trying out Star Trek? Because it is very daunting if you've never watched it before. It is a pretty daunting franchise to see all the hundreds of episodes. So we uh, talk about that, where to get started, all kinds of stuff. Anyway, check it out. Episode 171, Destination Linux. Let's move on. The last bit of housekeeping this week is letting you know that if you'd like to help make this show possible, then please consider becoming a patron of Tux Digital. By becoming a patron, you are directly helping me finance the creation of this show and all the other content on this channel. Now, if I look like I'm tired, this is a behind-the-scenes little tidbit for those who are willing to watch the housekeeping section. I know some people don't, but if you are, I would appreciate that very much because you need to learn more about the show and about you know what I'm doing and whatever. So I like to do some behind-the-scenes stuff here and there. And in this case, I'll let you know there's some behind-the-scenes things that I think would be interesting to know that uh, it's currently 1.40 in the morning, and I'm pretty tired. So if I look tired, it's because I am, because I needed to get the show done, and I had so many things to do this week that it basically made it until the last minute and also beyond that that I'm doing this show. So if you appreciate that effort, uh, maybe consider becoming a patron and... I'll be able to sleep at some point. It was actually funny in the Linux Plus Plus article that was uh, made for the latest one for uh, April 26th. In there, Eric posts, uh, has a little thing about you know congratulating me for the episode 100, which, thank you very much, Eric. I appreciate that. But also at the bottom, he said there's, there's a rumor that I don't sleep in order to get everything done. And that rumor, I haven't, I can't confirm it or deny it at this point. But considering it's 1.40 in the morning as I'm recording this episode, who knows? It's anybody's guess. <laughs> anyway, you also get special rewards 
uh, if you become a patron, like you can join me for the new monthly patrons chat live stream that we're doing and many other things. And to the awesome 84 patrons of Tux Digital at the moment, I want to thank you so much for helping me create this content. And I can't really thank you enough, but I'm going to keep trying. I'm going to cre- keep making this content, and I hope like, I can eventually thank you enough. Probably not, but I will continue to try. Up next in the show is some desktop environment news from Cute, and that is 0.15 has been released. Now, if you're watching the video version, you'll also see, in parentheses, what's up with LXQt. This is some issue because there's a little bit of drama with LXQt, and we're going to talk about that now. Now, this is not a drama alert channel. I, I, I don't want it to be that. It's just this is an interesting thing to kind of be like a teaching moment for other projects to consider, and we'll get to that in a second. But first of all, LXQt project has released LXQt 0.15.0, and this is the first big update in about a year. LXQt is a free open source desktop environment if you've never heard of it, and it's got pretty pretty low resource requirements, and it was also formed from the merger of LXDE and RazorQt projects. Now, this is really cool because I like it when, when projects collaborate, and the biggest collaboration you can possibly do, I guess, would be the merging of your projects into a whole new project and working together completely in that sense, which is what happened with LXQt because those two projects, LXDE and MazerQt, merged together to make LXQt. And that was about three or seven years ago, but it still is important enough to mention it every once in a while when I talk about LXQt because I think it's important. So LXQt is also available on distributions right now by default, like Lubuntu and Sparky Linux. And also there's uh, community spins for Manjaro and Fedora Linux. And as well as you can choose it to install on Debian and OpenSUSE if you want to and that kind of thing. Uh, but if you want to get the latest versions of LXQt, you might want to use one of the later versions or the, the default ones. But, you know, this release happened basically this like the day after or like a few hours later than the Ubuntu. So Lubuntu 20.04 doesn't have the latest version, but that makes sense considering it was released after Lubuntu was released. So that's what happens when, you know, there you go. Anyway, so the most prominent feature of this release is probably the LXQt Archiver. It's a brand new and fully functioning archive manager that integrates with the PCManFM-Qt file manager, and it integrates it by default. And also the LXQt panel is getting a new plugin for changing display backlight. There's also now an option for changing the backlight when the computer is idle, which is pretty nice. And now there's also support for different wallpapers when using multi-monitor configurations, as well as a new option in the task manager that will now let users move windows to the next or previous virtual desktop using the mouse wheel on the panel. Now this is interesting because a lot of people or a lot of DEs have ability to use the mouse wheel on the panel, but they typically just allow you to switch between the different applications that are active rather than the desktop environment. So it's our desktop, virtual desktops. So it's interesting to do it that way. Uh, I think it's a pretty cool approach to it as well. Now let's move on to the drama part because apparently this is not a drama channel, okay? This is not a drama channel, but just so happens that two projects have some drama happening on the same episode. It is what it is. So <laughs> so the maintainer and only person of the for, that has access to the LXQt hosting and domains allowed them to go down. And they've been down for the past couple of weeks, a little over a couple of weeks, actually. And unfortunately, he has not passed control or changed it to forward to GitHub, despite being asked directly to forward it to GitHub in the meantime. So the lxcute.org website is currently down. I think also LXDE's website is down, too. For over two weeks of discussion has been happening on the GitHub for LXCute. So T. Sujin, I think that's how you say it, He's a member of the LXQt project, and he said that I'm not going to give the name of the person who's not doing it, but if you want to look it up, feel free. I'm not going to like out someone about that, it's, and it's, I'm not really a drama web or drama podcast or whatever. So, saying that he's the only person in the charge of the website, and after getting in touch with, uh, four days after the sites went down, he said the reason why he hasn't done it, fixed it, is because he's busy with his job. Now, fair enough to you, you're busy with your job. That's probably true and definitely a fair point to make, but it's not a fair point if you're not giving control to fix it. If you can't fix it, that is fine. Someone else can, 
and they would probably like to fix it because lxcute.org, the main website for the entire project, is not working. So, reasonable reason, excuse to not do it, not a reasonable excuse to not allow someone else to do it. Hand over control to people who have the time or want to do it more than you do, and that's okay. In the meantime, that has not happened. So, that's the problem I wanted to talk about because I think it's a teaching moment. Because saying, you know, if you're, a, if you're a part of a project and that website is maintained by one person of that project and not the whole project as, it's, as like a group and people don't have access to it. Now, there are some cases where not everybody needs to have access to a project. But I do think that the people who are at the top of the project should all have control and access to these different things to make sure that if some person is not available when something bad happens, that they can immediately get it addressed by someone else. Like this case where they can't. So that's the teaching moment I was talking about. I think that this is something to let you know that if you are part of a project and this is this, this could happen to you, definitely a, a, you know deal with it now before it's too late when you actually have to deal with it directly in the same kind of situation. Uh, he also didn't respond to the request to point it to the, the domain to GitHub, so that's unfortunate. And you know, I'll just I'll just leave it at that. It's unfortunate. And final message to the person who's in charge of the domains and everything. The excuse you gave about you're busy with your job is valid for why you couldn't do it. It's not valid for not giving access and control to someone else who can. So do that. And for people who are part of other projects, make sure there's multiple people who can do that. Let's move on to no more drama stuff. <laughs> Up next in the show is Live 20.04 has been released. Now, KDE Application Suite has 20.04 released as well as like everything. This is a part of that, and I might talk about some other stuff in the next episode. But I wanted to talk about Caden Live specifically because, one, I use Caden Live to make these shows, and I'm a big fan of it. And also, there's a lot of cool stuff in this release. So, Caden uh, Live 2004 has been working on various effect improvements preview scaling and monitors, multicam improvements, audio track improvements, and many other fixes. So we're going to highlight some stuff like the major speed improvements due to the preview scaling feature. Now, this piece is really important because this is what if you have like high-end video that you're editing, let's say you have more the 1080p or higher like 4K or 2K or something like that, this means you can have this kind of video as the project that you're working on, but the preview can use a lower resolution like 360p or 480p to make the playback much smoother and a better experience. I think that is fantastic. It's a really nice thing to have. Also, they've done improvements to the project bin, adding filters so you can now rate and color tag your clips to make it easier to identify things. They also have added better improvements to the interfacing, the interface for multicam editing. Now, it's not like a true multicam editor, but it does do a really interesting job in it because each individual track you can set to do multicam editing. And this new version allows you to select a track in the timeline by clicking on the project monitor section for that track. Also, they've added a new pitch shift uh, feature, which is like pitch compensation. So when you change the clip speed, it, it like changes it really slow or really fast paced high pitch. And you can actually fix that where it still does the uh, the speed change, but the audio is is like not unaffected. So that is pretty cool. Uh, they've also added import export support for Open Timeline I/O. Now this is Pixar's interchange format that allows interoperability with Final Cut 7, Final Cut Pro X, and also Adobe Premiere, just to name a few. Which is really really awesome to have that support for those different formats. Also, they've added some improvements for bug fixes and some new tracking algorithms for the motion tracking system, which is really awesome. They've also made improvements to the rotoscoping, making it much easier to deal with, uh, as well as adding the ability to color clips according to type, which is really, as we talked about the filter color clips earlier, but also they make it where you can just have like the type of, of file, like the different like formats, so if it's a MKV or if it's an audio file or whatever. It can do that. Awesome. 
And also they did some, some bit of redesign on many of the sections like the monitor, project band, timeline, audio mixer interfaces, as well as adding an in a menu in the track header that allows you to switch between single and separate channel for audio thumbnails, which is pretty cool. And also something I've been looking forward to is the new audio profiles for FLAC and ALAC. I don't know if you're supposed to say it like that, but I've been wanting a FLAC one for a while, and it's really awesome that they have it now. As well as the new alpha video profiles for VP8, VP9, and MOV, as well as GIF image export profile. Now, why are these important? Well, that's because these this alpha video thing implies a ability to have a transparent background inside of the video. Now, this is fantastic and just awesome because it allows you to use matte transitions and also, in this case, create matte transitions. Now, you might not know what a matte transition is. It's really hard to describe exactly, but check out the link in the show notes for the video I made that is from the 2019 self conference where I did a talk about Caden Live. And in that talk, I talk about the matte transitions effect that are available in Caden Live and I demonstrate what they look like and what they do. So if you want to learn more about that, check out the link in the video description or in the show notes to see that. Now, there's a lot of other stuff in the Caden Live thing, but I don't want to cover absolutely everything because it would just take a very long time. I've already gone longer on this one as well. And this episode is going to be long in general, just because there's a lot of stuff to get through. So let's move on. Up next in the show is some more application news, and that is BleachBit. BleachBit 4.0 has been released. And if you're not aware, BleachBit is an open source disk space cleaner, privacy manager, and computer system optimizer software and it allows you to kind of clean out stuff that you might not want anymore, like old files or you know stuff related to specific applications. And we'll get to that, some of that in a minute. Uh, but it has reached version 4.0, which is a major milestone. And it brings a lot of improvements as well as some big changes. Probably the biggest change is that they have updated it to run on Python 3 instead of Python 2. Because Python 2 has been deprecated and you don't really want the application to be deprecated with it. Therefore, switch to Python 3, which is really, really good. Also, they've added a new cleaner for Discord, so you can clean out Discord stuff that's left over. Uh, there's also a new cleaner, or not a new cleaner, but more improved cleaning stuff for Google Chrome. Also, some cleaning more for Firefox, Opera, and Gpotter. They've also improved the responsiveness of the application window while it's cleaning, which is good. Also, they have improved some stuff for VLC. They fixed some stuff that wasn't working that well. And they've also added some improvements to the ability to have reports of how much space was cleaned when cleaning for apt auto-remove. Also, they have added packages for Fedora and OpenSUSE Tumbleweed. So with Fedora, this also means that they have the ability to clean, uh, the, enables the cleaning of DNF auto-remove in addition to the way they have apt to it. Uh, this also is kind of like a, a trend that they do with supporting different distributions natively because by you know doing... Cleaning for regular regular Linux, you're not going to be able to do specifics that are related to just the distro, so they add extra pieces for that, which is really cool. And this is for like support for CentOS, Debian, Fedora, Linux Mint, Ubuntu, and OpenSUSE now. So this is really, really good. Uh, BleachBit is a cool application. It's really great if you want to clean out stuff from your system, that if you have like really old files that you want to get rid of. Now, to be clear... You could also delete stuff you don't want to delete, so be sure to be absolutely clear and be absolutely certain stuff that you're going to be deleting with BleachBit or stuff you do not want because once it's gone, it's gone. So there you go. Just a fair warning there, but BleachBit is a really cool application, and if you like something like that for a disk cleaning, then check it out. I'll have a link to it in the show notes below. Next in the show and the last topic for today, thank goodness because I'm very tired. If you didn't look at the housekeeping section, it's now two in the morning and I want to go to sleep. Although Linux plus plus, this does not confirm that I ever sleep. I want to, doesn't mean I will. Moving on to the actual topic. <laughs> Vivaldi 3.0 has been released 
And this is a, a browser that is founded by the former co-founder of Opera Software, and he created his own new browser called Vivaldi. It's, a, it's based on the Chromium browser, so it's like a modified version of Chromium. It's also proprietary. It's, it's, you know, it's, like, it's similar to how Google Chrome is proprietary and how Opera is and that kind of stuff. And what's interesting about Vivaldi is that they say that it's owned by their employees, so they have no external investors get, that give them any reasons to not listen to the users. So that's what they liked. That's what they do. Uh, and one of the things that they listened about was having adding bl- uh, blocking ads and trackers from websites. So they say that Vivaldi 3.0 becomes the newest browser to become uh, an ad blocker and a tracker blocker uh, compared to Apple's Safari, Mozilla Firefox, and Microsoft's Edge, which already had some sort of tracking, uh, were already blocking trackers. Uh, Brave also blocks ads as well as trackers. And also apparently Google somehow sometimes blocks ads if the pages are ad heavy, apparently. Uh, you know, Google's all about ads, so they're not going to block it just outright. Anyway, there's also been some bandwidth improvements, especially important for the mobile section we're going to get to in a minute. Uh, but uh, te- the testers, they say, they say testers told Vivaldi an ad blocker is imperative to speed up page loads and reduce mobile data uses on smartphones. Because of this, uh, because mo- monthly network data limits like that Chrome statistics show declines in data usage and slower website loading speeds toward the end of the month because people hit their monthly limits and therefore get throttled and therefore don't use it that much, which makes a lot of sense really. So they say, and, and they, so they're saying that they're adjusting to make sure that they can, uh, you know, have better improvements for the bandwidth usage and that kind of thing. Uh, also, something interesting is that Chrome's coming out with a new uh, extension change for the like they're doing. A, there's a new manifest version, so Google's planning to change how extensions interact with Chrome. And by extension, pun intended, is uh, browsers like Vivaldi that are based on its open source Chromium foundation. Extension authors have warned that the change called Manifest 3 could severely limit their ability to block ads and trackers, so having it built into the browser makes it more useful, I suppose. Like, more less likely that this change would mess up the blocking because, well, Google likes to do things like that, right? So it might be a good reason why having a blocking solution built into the app, the browser itself rather than an extension would be good to do. And that's what Vivaldi's doing. They've incorporated the DuckDuckGo tracker radar powered block list, meaning that this, I like how they describe it. Uh, they say that this means that they're blocking the creepy third-party trackers and that they're blocking those in the background as you browse the web. The creepy third-party trackers. Yep, that would be apt description. And anyway, they also do some stuff like this latest version has something that's really weird. It's a clock button, and you can change it to be an analog clock face for some reason. I don't know. I mean, it does have countdowns and reminders and stuff like that and alarms, which might be useful for your browser, I I guess, maybe. But, like, there's applications specifically for that, and also some systems have those built in. I don't know. Interesting, I guess, still. But another thing that's really interesting about Vivaldi is that this release of 3.0 also introduces a new Android version of the browser. Now, what's really interesting about this is many of the cool features of the desktop version are available for the Android version, including a dark mode. Uh, but what I thought was kind of weird is that the Vivaldi has, just like the desktop, the Vivaldi for Android has the tracker blocker using the DuckDuckGo tracker radar blocker block uh, tracker radar powered block list, uh, but it's off by default for some reason. So, just so you know that if you are going to use the Android version, while well, the desktop version has it on by default, it's off by default apparently for the Android version. So, that's just to let you know in general. Uh, but if you if if you were to ask me. Actually, we did actually have this conversation in episode 169 of Destination Linux regarding of... Wait, was it? I don't remember if it was 169. I don't know. Something like that. So we had a conversation at some point in Destination Linux about what I would use if I couldn't use Firefox. You know, let's just take Firefox off the table, which, to be clear, the answer is Firefox, but let's take it off the table for now. What derivative of Chromium would I want to use, or would I use Chromium? Now, I said Vivaldi because I like a lot of the features, and many of them, 
correlate nicely to Firefox. So if I didn't have Firefox, I would check out Vivaldi. And if you don't want to use Firefox for some silly reason, then Vivaldi would be a good option to check out. So I'll have a link to it in the show notes. But you should still take out Firefox. Thanks for watching this episode of This Week in Linux. If you like what I do here on this show, please like that smash button and be sure to subscribe. If you'd like to support the Tux Little channel, we have multiple ways you contribute via PayPal, or you can become a patron, a patron on Patreon and on sponsors, and many other options. You can learn more by going to tuxdigital.com slash contribute. Or you can order the Linux Disabler t-shirt by going to destinationlinux.network slash store. That's right, you can get it in the DLN store by going to destinationlinux.network slash store. And we also have ways to contribute without any cost to you by using our affiliate links. You can find links for places like Amazon, Humble Bundle, and many more by going to tuxdigital.com slash affiliates. And if you'd like some more podcasting goodness from me, then check out the latest episode of Destination Linux as I'm a co-host of that show. And also hardwareaddicts.org as I'm a co-host of that show as well. And just to go back to a little bit for Destination Linux, if you're not watching the the version, like if you didn't watch the video version of this show, be sure to check out the thumbnail for the latest episode of 170 at the time of this recording for Destination Linux because there's a it's ridiculous. It's kind of fun because Ryan had some this silly uh, troll movie related t- thing in the episode, so I decided to make troll versions of us on the thumbnail. So be sure to check that out if you want to see some silliness that I just did for no reason. <laughs> anyway, uh, thanks again for watching. I'm Michael Tunnell with Tux Digital, and as always, keep using, learning, and enjoying Linux.